bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, April 24th, 2018. We have a great podcast for you this week, and I want to start by marking something that occurred 41 years ago. It was 41 years ago this week that the Community Reinvestment Act, or CRA, was introduced. Now, the CRA encourages financial institutions to meet the banking needs of the communities in which they operate. And over the years, CRA has been a powerful influence on where some banks choose to invest in long-closing tax credit and new market tax credit finance developments. Now, as I reported in the podcast a couple of weeks ago, we do expect an advance notice of proposed rulemaking from regulatory agencies regarding changes to CRA. So we'll be following that very closely and bringing you updates in future podcasts. Now, looking to what we have in store for you this week, I'm going to first discuss the latest efforts to rescind parts of the $1.3 trillion omnibus spending bill for fiscal year 2018. After that, I'm going to briefly touch on a package of bills that have been developed that are designed to improve administration of the IRS on a bipartisan basis, I should add. I also have information on a scheduled hearing on the new tax law that's happening today, as well as a recent House Ways and Means Committee roundtable on expiring tax provisions. And then, after that, I'm going to share news on new Opportunity Zone designations, as well as information on the California housing bill that unfortunately didn't survive, and the recently released inflation adjustments for the Renewable Energy Production Tax Credit. If you're ready, let's get started. So I'll start off with some ominous news, ominous news about the omnibus. In last week's podcast, I mentioned efforts to rescind some of the appropriations dollars that were passed just a few weeks ago in the fiscal year 2018 omnibus bill. Now, among those pushing to claw back spending from the $1.3 trillion bill are both President Donald Trump as well as House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy. Now, more specifically, President Trump has asked Office of Management and Budget Director Mick Mulvaney to develop a rescission proposal, develop such a proposal within the next couple of weeks. Now, at this point, it's not entirely clear where the administration will propose making cuts. However, If past actions are any indication of what to expect, then we can expect housing and community development funding to take a hit in the Trump administration rescission proposal. You may recall that Trump's fiscal year 2019 budget request called to eliminate the Community Development Block Grant and Home Investment Partnerships programs, as well as Public Housing Capital Fund. Now again, we don't know yet what the rescission proposal will entail but it's probably not going to be favorable. But first, let's describe how a rescission proposal works. I like the detail. Now, in describing how a rescission proposal works, I want to thank the Bipartisan Policy Center for an excellent description of the process. And that's a a description from which this discussion is excerpted. I'll tweet out a link to the Policy Center's analysis as to how rescission would work. So rescission proposal is first submitted by the president and to the Congress, and it's technically an appropriation measure, which is then sent to the appropriation committees in the House and the Senate. Now, these committees then have 25 days to either approve 
disapprove, or amend the measure. Now, if the committee is to take no action within that 25 days, then the measure is subject to discharge from the committee and can go to the full House and Senate for action. Now, if either the committees, both the House or the Senate, disapproves the measure, then the process stops. Now, Congress has overall a total of 45 days, defined as consecutive days, to act on the rescission package. Now, if Congress doesn't approve the President's rescissions within 45 days, then the President then has to release the rescinded monies to the agencies. So, the President needs a positive vote from Congress in order for the rescission to take effect. But I should note that positive vote is a simple majority in the House and a majority in the Senate. You can't filibuster this in the Senate. So the question, of course, is, is there a consensus among Republican leaders in the Congress about rescission? The answer is a simple one, no, there is not consensus. Most notably, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell told Fox News last week that his chamber would not, would not consider a spending cuts package on the Senate floor. Without McConnell's support, it doesn't come as any surprise that any rescission package has little chance of passing. But it could be even more difficult because any rescission package would also need support from the House Appropriations Committee Chairman Rodney Freelingheisen and Senate Appropriations Committee Chairman Richard Selby. Both chairmen have suggested that a rescission would be unlikely to pass. Now I'll keep you posted in future podcast episodes to the extent that conditions change such that a further update is warranted. We're hopeful it's not going to change too dramatically, but we'll see. Now I wanted to turn to the IRS. Now the recent April 17th filing deadline, or I should say the April 18th filing deadline for individuals given the mix-up and the, and the hardware failure at the IRS, but with the filing deadline behind us, I wanted to briefly discuss a recent bill about the IRS. Now the House last week unanimously passed a package of bipartisan tax-related bills that are intended to improve IRS administration and operations. These proposals, these bills, were combined into one final bill that the House advanced to the Senate. Now, this legislation has been referred to the Senate Finance Committee uh, in the Senate for consideration. I will give you more details on this IRS administration bills in future podcasts as it gains momentum to the extent that it does. Meanwhile, staying with the Senate Finance Committee for the moment, the Senate Finance Committee is holding a hearing today on early impressions of the new tax law the tax that was enacted at the end of last year. Now, witnesses are going to include representatives from a material handling equipment company, from the American Action Forum, and from two law professors, one from NYU and one from Brooklyn Law School. In the House, I would note, the Housing and Insurance Subcommittee is going to hold a hearing on HUD rent reform tomorrow. And the Transportation HUD Appropriations Subcommittee is going to hold a hearing on the Federal Housing Administration at the same time. Now I'll report back in next week's podcast about any notable highlights from the Senate hearing on the tax bill, from the House hearing on HUD rent reform, and from the Transportation HUD Appropriations Subcommittee on the Federal Housing Administration. Once again, I'll report back next week to the extent there are notable highlights from those hearings. Let's stay with Congress for the moment because there is other congressional news. Last week, last Wednesday to be exact, the House Ways and Means Committee held a closed-door roundtable meeting to discuss tax extenders, with a focus 
on tax expenditures that expired at the end of 2017. After the meeting, Representative Mike Thompson noted that there were a couple of areas that got particular attention. Recovery period for motor sports facilities and the income tax exclusion benefits for volunteer firefighters and emergency responders. Now, Tax Policy Subcommittee Chairman Vern Cannon provided over the meeting, since tax extenders are part of the Tax Policy Subcommittee, while the meeting was broader, the meeting was open to all House lawmakers, uh, it was led by the Tax Policy Subcommittee Chairman Vern Buchanan. Reportedly, about a dozen lawmakers participated in the roundtable. Participants discussed which expiring tax revisions should be made permanent, which should be phased out, or which should be eliminated more immediately, or simply not extended again. Now, Chairman Brady noted it was hard for some members to, quote, let go of extenders, given the, quote, annual tradition of extending them. That said, according to Bloomberg, Brady hinted that certain industries benefiting from the new tax law could see extenders that benefit them eliminated, which also implies that many of these extenders are likely to be extended once again. Now let's turn to other news. We'll start with opportunity zones. The Treasury Department last week designated qualified opportunity zones in five states and one territory. The states that now have official designations from Treasury are Alabama, Delaware, Missouri, Ohio, and Texas, as well as the territory Northern Mariana Islands. I should note these are the new designations. There are 15 states that have previously been designated, so now we have 20 states and a total of four territories with designated qualified opportunity zones. Now, as you know, investors in qualified opportunity funds that in turn make equity investments or own property in qualified opportunity zones can qualify for a three-part tax incentive. Namely, one, investors can defer tax on prior gains until no later than December 31, 2026, as well as get to exclude up to 15% of the gain if they hold their investments for more than seven years. And lastly, any additional gains on the investments will be not subject to tax to the extent that they hold the investments for 10 years. To reinforce their support for the Opportunity Zone legislation and the Opportunity Zones law, the White House last week released a roundup of quotes from senators, governors, and state leaders in support of the Opportunity Zones concept, including a quote from Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Now, we expect more Opportunity Zone designations will be announced over the next 30 days. The deadline for states and territories to nominate uh, zones within their state or territory was last Friday. And we believe all states did submit a request for designation of opportunity zones if they hadn't done so previously. Treasury has 30 days from when they receive the nominations or the designations from the state to certify them. So we expect within 30 days to know all the opportunity zones that will be available. Now in the meantime, you can learn more about the Opportunity Zone Incentive by watching a recording of our Novogratic Investing Opportunity Act webinar that aired this past Friday. I was fortunate enough to be able to moderate the discussion. This recording is now available on the Novogratic website. Also, you can purchase the 2018 Novogratic Tax Reform Resource Guide 
that has a section dedicated to the Opportunity Zone incentive. I should note this guide is free, a PDF version is free to clients of the firm. So if you're a client of the firm, reach out to your Novogratic professional. Now I've included links to, the, to both the webinar recording and the Task Room Resource Guide in today's show notes. I'll also tweet the links through my Twitter handle at Novogratic. We at Novogratic and Company are very excited about the Opportunity Zone legislation and how it can help distressed areas and look forward to working with you, our listeners, and others to help implement the law. Now, I'd like to turn to state news, most particularly California, where I'd like to discuss an affordable housing bill that unfortunately went down to defeat. The California State Senate Transportation and Housing Committee recently voted down a bill that would have allowed higher density housing with affordability restrictions to be built near transit stations. The bill was Senate Bill 827, was then granted, though, reconsideration, and is going to be discussed at a hearing tomorrow. Now, the bill is a good fit with the Long Housing Tax Credit Program as California awards extra points in its qualified allocation plan for transit-oriented development. If you're interested in reading the bill, you can find a link to it in today's show notes. And once again, the bill was granted reconsideration and will be discussed further tomorrow at a hearing, so we'll keep you updated through Twitter as to what happens. And finally, turning to energy for a moment, the IRS last week released calendar year 2018 inflation adjustment factors and reference prices. Now these adjustment factors and reference prices are used to determine the availability and amount of production tax credits for renewable electricity production. The IRS stated that the calendar year 2018 inflation adjustment factor for qualified energy resources and refined coal is 1.6072. And the 2018 reference price for facilities that produce electricity from wind is 4.85 cents per kilowatt hour. Now, that's a bunch of numbers. These reference prices and inflation adjustment factors and the like are used to determine whether or not there's going to be a phase-out of the credits. The good news is the phase-out of the credits won't apply to when produced electricity sold during 2018. As a result, the 2018 credit rate for wind is unchanged from the previous year at 2.4 cents per kilowatt hour. If you want to learn more, go to www.energytaxcredits.com or reach out to a Novograd professional. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's report. But before I close today, I do want to note that the Novogratic Rent and Income Limit Calculator has been updated. It's been updated with fiscal year 2018 rent and income limits. Now, there's a beta version, and it's free, courtesy, of course, of Novogratic and Company. Now, this tool is used to calculate Section 42, Local Housing Tax Credit Rent and Income Limits, for every county and metropolitan statistical area in the United States as well as used for income limits, for tax and bond, private activity bonds, I should say, for residential rental housing. Now, the calculator has also been updated to allow 70 and 80% income limits. Now, why do you care about 70 and 80% income limits? Well, of course, it has to do with the new income averaging minimum set aside. I will tweet a link to the calculator, and I'll include a link in today's show notes. That's it for now. I'm Michael Novogratik, and if you like the show, please go on iTunes and give us a positive review. And, as always, thanks for listening. 
This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived podcasts are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. You can find related links referenced in this podcast in our show notes at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast. Novogratik and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.